Good morning, good afternoon, and good day, wherever you're joining us from. Welcome to another edition of Sales TV Live. Today, we're mastering the balancing act between art and science. We're joined by Jesse Molitor, Vice President of Sales at Descara, with over 17 years of expertise in sales and leadership, also a board member of the Women in Leadership Advisory, Jesse has extensive background in leadership and development. Jesse, welcome. Welcome. Hi. Good to see you Hi. again. Um, nice to see everybody here. Jesse, please tell us a little bit about you, your journey in sales and where you are today. Absolutely. So I currently met Descara, um, as Rob mentioned. I'm the VP of sales here. I spent Previous to this, about seven years at SAP Concur, leading sales organizations, both in client sales, new business sales. Um, about a year and a half ago, I came over to Descara to build out their U.S. sales organization. And I am based out of Minneapolis. We've got a team here, small but mighty. Fantastic. Thank you for that. So I, I want to jump right into it. We've all heard that sales is part art and part science. Mm -hmm. Maybe not everyone buys in, but even if we do, it means something different to everyone. What do you mean when you mm -hmm. say that? What's the science and what's the art? Absolutely. Um, I 100% believe there's art and science. And I think it starts for a lot of us in the science side, right? Um, you can look back and and for those of the number of people out there, you can go back and say, okay, if I have eight leads, I know 50% of them are going to go to sales working, which means they're going in my pipeline and I'm going to close 25% of that. That's a science, right? If you take times that by 100, it's probably going to be pretty similar throughout. However, from the art side of it, you're going to have more effectiveness. And I kind of go back to art and sciences, the A times E equals R activities times effectiveness equals results. So that effectiveness piece is the art of it. How can you move that deal faster? What are the ideas you can bring to the table? You can't bring ideas if you don't have leads, which is science. If you don't have the math, you know, you don't have a customer, you can't close that customer. You can be as creative as you want, um, but you don't have the momentum to be able to actually close anything. So it's really being able to, as a salesperson, as a sales leader, understand what your business is from a science perspective, and then how can you make it more effective with the art of selling? So, so when you're training, oh, go ahead, Adam. I was just gonna say, so you, so, you, so you talk about art, and I absolutely get that, because some people have, uh, have just a natural affinity with others. Mm -hmm. So they're able to go into a room, and they're able to command the room, and people just, mm -hmm like dogs sitting up there you know want, wanting to buy from those salespeople, and it's a beautiful thing to watch mm -hmm. but as uh, as a leader in in an organization you know that those people are few and far between you know there are not many of those so is it possible to take that um that art take that artistry take that creativity and productize it or process it in order that other people can learn or do they have to just watch them or how do you because I, i'm mm -hmm. sure often you have people that are very good at doing the math, very good at doing the process, very good at doing as they're told, but they haven't got that creative spark. So how, how do you spread that or can you? I think actually it's easier to teach art 
than it is to teach um, the, well, and maybe not necessarily easier to teach science, but it comes down to skill and will. Um, if you have the will, you can teach anybody art. They may not have the natural charisma that someone else has, but you can teach them things to do or questions to ask and how to do that um, if they're willing to learn. It's a lot harder to teach people to want to do the hard stuff, which is the day-to-day -day process to understand their numbers. Um, if they don't have the want there, it's much harder. So when I'm hiring someone, I think it's more impactful to understand how coachable are they? Um, how much are they willing to learn from the will side? Because the skill piece can be taught. You, you, you're never going to make somebody that is not doesn't have that natural charisma into having it. However, they can figure out how does that come out through their personal um, personality skill set. Everyone doesn't. I used to say when I would hire a team, it's like, you don't need seven Jessies. You need one Jesse and you need one Tim and you need one Tony. Um, they're all going to have different skills. But how do you help them? And that's where the art comes in. Use what they do best. But if they don't have the will, you're never going to get them there. Mm -hmm. So when you're training new sales professionals, mm -hmm. which comes first? I think it's always going to be the science because they need to know what they need to do. Uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily teaching them, but you need they need to understand if I come into a new role, what's expected of me? How do we set those expectations? And a lot of the expectations, it's hard to set expectations on the, the art of it. Um, because again, that's subjective. The science, you know what it should be. So that's easier to set expectations early um, and then teaching the art. So if I'm hiring an SDR, they probably don't have a lot of um, the motion coming in. They don't know a lot when they're coming in. Um, so you're teaching them the science, and as they have those at-bats, they're getting more artful with it. You can help with how do we tweak this and how do we make it better. If hire, I'm hiring an enterprise AE, they probably have a lot of art. So again, you're going back to saying, here's the science of our business, because every business model is going to be a little different. If I'm selling an ERP solution, like I'm selling today, is very different um, than I'm maybe selling an SMB point solution. Um, and so being able to say, what are those transferable skills that bringing in, starting with the science and then layering in that art piece. And some people will naturally pick it up. I think sometimes you have challenge with, I, I worked with leaders who will say, well, I only care about the art. I just want closers. Well, again, it goes back to if you don't have the, the science, the building blocks, which is the leads, it doesn't matter if you have the best closer in the world. Um, right. And on the flip side, you can't have someone that all they do is manage to the numbers because if we're not helping our people be more effective, again, you're going to fall short of that number. Uh, Bob Britton shares with us, I learned to sell professionally from the U.S. Navy. Aside from commercial selling programs like Achieve Global, they had an organic program called the Science and Art of Naval Recruiting. That's interesting. Uh, recruiting is a, a is a sales job, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, when developing a go-to-market playbook, what's the most effective blend of art and science? What are the numbers? Mm -hmm. um, I had an old leader, um, Ben Brewer. We, he was a big on this thing called we called the simple focus. 
So you're like, if you think about your deals, you know, you need to know how many deals you need to close from a playbook standpoint. We all know if you're in sales, you have a quota, whatever that quota is. How do you work backwards to find the number for each of them? So if I need one closed deal, I know I need four deals in my sales working, which means I probably need eight raw leads to get to four deals in my sales working. So if you start on a sales playbook understanding and teaching your team those numbers, and then individually identifying where your teams are landing. If we're not hitting our closed one, do we have enough deals in our sales working? If not, and we look down and say, okay, well, they had enough leads, there's a skill gap there. That's where you work on the art. You work on this, where is that skill gap? And if you work backwards from the numbers, you'll start seeing where those skill gaps lie. And that's how you build your playbook. But if you start with what's expected um, and then build in where those skill gaps could fall and then address the skill gap from a coaching standpoint. Talk to me a little bit about that coaching because a lot of the coaching that I've observed is really all about those numbers. Hey, you, you, you didn't hit enough of these numbers. And the coaching is go hit more of these numbers. Well, gee, I, I wish I had thought of that. But you've identified the gap. What does that coaching look like that helps them develop the art? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's digging in with the individual. Okay. For me, it's okay. Let's sit down and go, okay, we had four deals. We, we maybe, let's say we have eight deals. We'll use the math. And we close one out of eight instead of two out of eight. So we're closing at a lower percentage. Let's break down where in the sales process that is and hone really simply into that piece of the sales process versus trying to coach the whole deal. I think too often we look at it either from a number standpoint or say, let's listen to this whole hour long call and give you feedback on everything. That doesn't help a rep. Let's identify where's the one point we maybe lost the customer and let's talk through how can we have that conversation better and listen to that piece of the conversation and get that really good and then move on to the next skill. Because you can't teach someone art as a whole of selling. You have to chunk it out in bite-sized pieces. So if it is maybe setting next steps, someone doesn't do a great job of like, they just kind of let it go. Okay, well, let me know. I'll follow up with you in a week. How do we set that and make that piece stronger so that we can say, okay, you did a great job here. Now, what else can we focus on? Um, and if you're only looking at the numbers, you're just saying, we didn't close the deal. Well, maybe we lost the deal in the discovery call or in that first meeting. We didn't lose it at the closing stage. If you're coaching to the number, you're only coaching to the closing stage. But your problem isn't the closing stage. Your problem is three steps prior to that. It's really interesting that you say that. So <clears throat> we talk to a lot of sales functions in a lot of different companies. And uh, the go-to bit is often that bit at the end. You know, so the organization says, we're not closing enough business, therefore we need to retrain people on insert sales methodology here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it's all about processing that part of the deal. And the challenge that we often find is that there's not enough stuff going in at the top of this conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. So yes, <clears throat> you're not closing enough business, but the problem is that the people that you are talking to at that stage in the buying process were never a good fit for you anyway. Mm -hmm. So you're closed. And, and because there are so few of them, you're not in a position to be able to say, you know what, Jesse, it isn't working. You know, we're not the right, the right supplier for you. 
And one of the challenges that, that I've actually had in a meeting with a client where I've said to them, can your sales team sell? And they go, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so why have you got no pipeline? Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, okay. The challenge is, and I bet, uh, you know, ask the team, the challenge is that you're doing loads of stuff, loads of emailing, loads of calling, loads of door knocking, and nobody wants to talk to you. Yes, that's exactly the pro Okay, so that's the bit you need to address. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people, I've met you, I simply do not like you. It doesn't matter how good your offer is, how good your proposition is, how good your use case is, I'm not going to buy from you because I don't like you. And mm -hmm. sometimes you're so reliant on that one or that two opportunities that there isn't the opportunity to acknowledge that sometimes you're just not a good fit, either personally or from a business perspective with those people. So so how do you address that? How do you get people to be doing stuff that brings more stuff in? At the, you've got more raw material coming in at the start of the conveyor belt, and naturally more is going to come out at the far end. That's 100%. That is something actually my team's been working on a lot this year is okay, we don't need to push everyone to the end of our sales cycle. It's just going to, you're putting people into maybe a sales working status that they're not a buyer. They don't have buying authority. So we need to be assessing our deals at an earlier stage and being okay to lose them. Um, a lot of people will use it like you're gripping the club so tight, you're trying to close a deal that was never going to close. Yeah. I'm not a golfer, uh, but you know, you need to let go. You need to have that mindset of abundance versus a mindset of scarcity. If you had 10 deals at the beginning and you said, you know what, which of these 10 deals look really good and you could make that decision, you're getting rid of five of them right away. So you're not pushing those five to an end and then losing it and like, well, why? Well, it was never going to come in. Be realistic early on. Um, you may have less deals in your funnel, but the deals you do have are more qualified. I, th I think um, also, you know, the, the challenge is that um, I have a number to make. I have a number to make this quarter. You're not going to buy this quarter. Uh, Jesse, you're going to buy from me today. You're going to buy from me tomorrow. You're going to buy. From it. And it's like you can only ask that question so many times. And I think that a lot of the problem is that people get this qualify out mindset. And, you know, I, I like to think of it as I'm qualifying you now or later. You know, I'm the right fit for you. Either you're going to buy today or tomorrow or this week or next year or in five years. And actually, as long as I'm putting enough people into that mindset, you can buy when you're ready. And it always makes me laugh about this idea of, you know, customer journey mapping. It's never customer journey mapping. It's always your company sales mapping. It's always about what you want to happen. Mm -hmm. But it requires people to behave and think in a different way, doesn't it? 100%. I always call it planting seeds. My When I worked at um, SAP, my reps would laugh at me because I'd be like, Q1, we're just planting seeds. All you're doing is planting seeds. You want to talk to as many people as possible. Not all of them are going to grow right away. But that's, you're planting seeds now because those are going to grow in Q3 and Q4. And if you treat the deals right and you, you understand where they're at, not where we're selling, but where they're at in the buying process, you feel a lot better when they come back in Q3 and Q4. Um, too so often perfect, perfect sense. So why do so many sales leaders have a, a bell that they ring? And, you know, it's, you know, they, they, they use Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross as a training video, you know, and it's all about machismo and, and fighting. And none of it is about truly making it customer centric. So, so why don't more people behave the way that you're talking about? 
I think it's a cultural thing. Like, I think that's how sales has been positioned. I also think, especially where we're in the market we're in right now, we're seeing that very much because 2020 through 2022, everyone was selling. Everyone was buying. There was money. Um, and so the way people could sell was a little bit different. They could be more aggressive um, because they had that big old funnel. And right now we're seeing it more because people's funnels aren't as big and they don't know, they've been taught to just follow the process and push people through their sales process versus meeting the customer where they're at and understanding where that customer is in their buying journey. You could, uh, you know, I think a good example of this is reps will throw out, okay, here's your pricing, but if you buy today, it's like, if they're not going to buy today, you're just like, they're not. Like they're not idiots, excuse my language, but customers know like, okay, if I'm, if you really want my deal, you're not going to take that away. So understanding when to use those levers, um, that's that art piece, right? Understanding where the customer's at in their buying journey, not where are you at? Oh, I did a discovery call. The next thing is a demo. And then I'm going to go through pricing. Well, does it make sense to go through pricing? They want to buy in six months. Maybe we understand like, okay, what does your process need to look like? How do we meet that? Um, and because of the pressures of sales, I think people too often just try to shove, shove it down, shove the sale in. And that's what gives salespeople a bad name, to be honest. It's, it's that used car salesman mentality, but what if I could do this for you today? And in the so, market so, we're in, that's work. So Bob Britton asks, do you use assessments to baseline and benchmark your seller's competencies and attributes? Um, we've identified, okay, what are the sales competencies that they need to have? And I think it's different for every type of selling because if you're selling um, an ERP software versus selling a point solution, there are some commonalities, but there are other things that you, you need to have. So I think identifying that for whatever your sales organization is, or if you're selling um, maybe home remodeling, whatever that might be, every industry is going to have different competencies um, and identifying that. So at SAP, we had different competencies than we do here. Also, we're in a startup mode. So what I think understanding where your company is at makes a difference in what competencies you need your team to have. So I don't know if there's necessarily a set baseline, Bob. I think it's you sitting down and saying, okay, go through your sales process. What are the steps that your team needs to be able to take? And what are those skills that align? And how do you empower a salesperson to find the right blend of art and science for themselves? I think everyone's got to have that baseline, that building block. Um, and I used to always say like, as you prove that you're hitting your number consistently, that baseline might change a little bit from the building blocks. So what I need, I might not need eight leads to get four to sales working. I might need six leads to get three to sales working, but I close one out of three because I close at a 33% rate versus a 25% rate. But if you can't, for me, it's show me that you understand the baseline and you earn the right to be able to make some changes to that. Um, and that comes with consistency. It comes with proven over time. Um, again, it, it depends on what you're hiring for. If you're hiring an enterprise sales rep, you better hope. I mean, you better have done a really good job in your, in your recruiting and in your interview process to understand they know how to sell a deal. 
Um, if you're hiring a brand new SDR, there's going to be a little bit different. Um, we used, or I've used kind of in a couple different roles in my career, situational leadership to understand where that person is. Um, do they understand that, like, what needs to be done? Do they have the skills to do that? And then identifying how do you coach that person to where they're at? So if they're brand new, they're excited, but they don't know what they're doing. So you need to be a little more directive on, okay, here's how to do it. If they've done it a million times, if I direct you how to do it, you're just going to get mad. You're going to get frustrated. So, uh, so I'm, I'm interested to know how, how do you as a sales leader think that sales organizations should deal with people who are abnormal in terms of how they do things? So they're kind of like maverick. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we often have conversations about uh, frustration that salespeople face where you have a number, mm -hmm. make your number, but you're not doing any of the KPIs that the company has set for you in order to make your number. So often, and we hear this time and again, you know, you may well have made your 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 quota and you've got 110% of target and your boss pulls you up and says, you haven't made enough phone calls this week. And you say, but I'm the best performing salesperson you have. And they say, yeah, but some of your KPIs are emails. And so so how does one change that archaic mindset? Because at the end of the day, you're not paying me to send emails. You're paying me to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're paying me to send emails. Who knows? I, 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 was, I was going to ask along the same lines, just to use the numbers that you had in the example before. So they only had six in their pipeline. But the KPIs, we've said... You clearly have to send this many emails, make this many calls to have this many in your pipeline, and you're not doing it. I can understand at a startup where you can have different rules for everyone, but at an enterprise organization, it seems like it's less able to accommodate, yet you've been able to do that. How did you do that? I think it goes back to that simple focus thing I talked about earlier. If someone's hitting their number, we're not worried about how many leads did you have. If they're consistently hitting their number, it's not a one-off. I hit it one month and we're good. Uh, but if they're consistently hitting their number, I'm not as worried as long as we know it's being done ethically about the waterfall. And that's where the, like, from a leadership standpoint, we need to start thinking about that is if they're hitting their number, why am I, why am I focusing on, well, you didn't have enough sales working. They're obviously closing at a higher rate. Um, the one thing I will say, and I've had this conversation with top performers over the years, is understanding what do those people want to do from a long-term perspective? Um, because if that is someone that says, I want to be a leader, I just do it this way, that's someone you have to have a conversation with. That's great. You can do it that way because you have some natural ability that not everyone has. How do you set the example for the other person that does not have that? And you're going to have people that are I'm an individual contributor. I always want to be one. Then you, you just say, great, let's do that. As long as you continue hitting your number, I'm not worried about X number of calls. I'm not worried about X number of emails because you get paid on your number. But if your goal is to, I want to lead a team or I want to do this, how does that impact other people behind you that you're going to apply for a role and say, well, I don't do that. I just, I'm artful. You can't teach someone that goes back to that you know, teaching someone that some things that are just innate skills, mm. you can teach them to use their skills, but you can't replicate your skills in somebody else. You do realize 
that's a bit of an enlightened way to lead, right? I think you want to lead by your people first. Um, again, that's the art and science. You need to understand your people and then the numbers should be directionally accurate. Um, they're not going to always hit, but are we moving in the right direction? If you only look at exactly and say, well, you made 24 calls, not 25 calls today. Yeah, but I had really four really great conversations. Awesome. You got deals into your pipeline. I'm not as worried about that. Because someone might be making 30 calls and they're making calls just to make calls. That's right. that effectiveness. I'm checking off the box. The next person puts the energy in and makes 20 and they're more effective. Again, the end of the day, we're in sales. The number is going to show us where we are and the rest should be directionally accurate. How are we getting to that number? Mm. Jesse, this has been great. Uh, how can people learn more? Where can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can reach out to me um, on LinkedIn. It's Jessica Molitor Larson. Um, you can email me jesse.molitor at descara.com. And you can check out Descara. That's my organization. If you're looking for a new ERP, we would love to chat. Fantastic. Uh, this has been another edition of Sales TV Live. Uh, to our audience, on behalf of our guests and everyone at Sales TV Live, thank you for being a, an active part of today's conversation. Uh, we will see you next time. Uh, we do have a newsletter. Uh, don't miss an episode. Get show highlights, beyond the show insights, and reminders of upcoming episodes. Scan the QR code on screen or visit us at Sales TV Live and visit the newsletter section. Uh, this has been another edition of Sales TV Live. Um, on behalf of our panelists, to our guest Jesse, to our audience, Thank you. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye all.